welcome to another episode of NACE International Podcast. My name is Sammy Miles, and I'm the Managing Editor-in-Chief of Corrosion Journal, NACE's peer-reviewed scientific journal. Today's episode of the Corrosion Journal interview series will continue our discussion of additive manufacturing, also known as 3D printing. I'm joined by Professors Chip Blankenship and G. Ma from the University of Virginia's Material Science and Engineering Department. Thank you for joining me. Good to be here with you, Sammy. Thanks, Sammy. We've previously touched on the basics of additive manufacturing in another podcast episode. Today's episode is going to build on that, focusing on why we're drawn to additive manufacturing, some current obstacles, and ongoing work to evolve this process. Before we dive in, would you both like to share a little about yourselves? Sure, Sammy. This is Chip. I'm a metallurgist by training, and most of that experience is in aerospace structural alloys, aluminum, titanium, and nickel-based superalloys. I spent most of my 25-year GE career in the aircraft engines group, leading commercial engine programs through design, test, and entry into service. I also held senior executive positions there in other GE divisions and at other companies. But now I'm back in the academic world supporting research and preparing our next generation of leaders to take their turn. G. Thanks, Sammy. This is G. Um, so unlike Trip, I've never left the safety bubble of the academic world. Uh, so uh, my background, I am also a metallurgist by training. Um, and I spend many years working on uh, smart materials, phase transformation in uh, different alloys. And before that, I was in structural design. Uh, so I've kind of gone through a few different iterations of, uh, of different areas in academia. Great. Um, to start us off, I guess we want to know what has spurred the interest in additive manufacturing? Well, first of all, design engineers were thrilled with the idea that they could make assemblies as one part, reducing part count and complexity in the structures they were designing and also designing specifically for the additive manufacturing pathway, really opening up the design space to make a single part. They love the lack of tooling required and the resulting speed to get a part in their hands. Then again, meeting dimensional requirements really isn't the end of the design story. So the material scientist is simultaneously worried that the printed material is not the same material that's in the mechanical property handbook yet intrigued with how this thermal processing path might be used to tailor mechanical and maybe even other properties. Um, everyone's worried about the as printed surface and specific manufacturing defects such as porosity. So everyone then gets aggravated with all the post-processing that's required to relieve some of these issues that show up on this processing path. Yeah, and you know, as a materials designer, right, we're trying to create uh, new materials additive you know, beyond just delivering very complex geometries, also give us a lot of new tools to play with. So, you know, as a material designer, we're, we're control freaks in many ways. We want different ways to tailor and change the material properties. So with additive, you have the ability to change material properties on the fly at different locations in the material. So it's a very exciting platform even for us to create uh, materials that with properties that you cannot get from any other technique, for example. And you know, it's not just the technology folks that are super excited about additive. As business leaders, um, you know, we are intrigued by the idea that the supply chain can be disrupted and our company can be more vertically integrated as we make our own parts instead of source from, you know, the experts and out there in forging or casting. 
So, so with that, that, that includes a few things that are really good about additive manufacturing. So where have we been really successful with it? What, what can we do now? What, what have we been really good at moving forward? Some of the highlights of, of what's been done so far, um, if, you point, if you look at the medical field, um, customized parts for uh, implants into people where um, different size and customization is really important, where um, flexibility and matching the, the stiffness of a, of a part to a, a bone or a joint in an orthopedic kind of implant, um, as well as in dental implants. Uh, they've been very successful in this field so far. Yeah, I think, you know, later on uh, in this discussion, we'll pour a little bit of cold water on uh, many aspects of additive, but I do want to, you know, say that beyond printing final parts, um, additive manufacturing and 3D printing in general has been extremely successful in prototyping, which is really where a lot of the uh, current efforts has been going to already, right? So they, they have been doing very well in that area. Yeah, that was really the start of it, wasn't it, G? I mean, with SLA and other things where designers could <clears throat> hold in their hand a piece of plastic, something they wanted somebody else to make out of metal, right? Exactly, right. So it, it's not, I wouldn't say additive is a completely new and unproven technology. It is something that's already embedded into many areas, uh, you know, in our uh, design process and production process. I think now the question is, how do we complete the whole entire cycle and turn this into something that it's going to be making the part that's going on the next airplane, putting into the next component into the engine. Uh, so that's the challenge. Speaking of engines, you know, um, GE with their LEAP engine for the A320neo and the Boeing 737 MAX, uh, at the end of 2018, they passed a milestone make, of making 30,000 30, fuel nozzle um, for that engine. And uh, the really attractive thing about additive for that um, advanced cobalt alloy uh, fuel nozzle was uh, you used to have to have 20 parts and weld and braze these things together. And with additive, you could just skip all of that and print the part. So even though it takes a long time to print a single part, you cut out so many other uh, assembly activities that it's really worth it. Um, and I think that's the thing that we face right now is you have to, yet right now you have to choose a really good part uh, where additive adds value to, to making the part versus just any part. And I, I think building on that then, when you're, when you're printing out that many parts, how do you ensure consistency, right? Are, is it, if you use the same design, can you print it just on a different machine? Are you having to worry about the powders that you're using? You know, I think some of that depends on whether we're talking about um, printing a polymer, polymer composite, or a metal. Um, you know, back to where we've been really successful, there's this, uh, company called Local Motors that are making an electric low-speed vehicle for things like shuttling people around in an urban environment or a college campus or the like. And they, they print 80% of this vehicle. It's a polymer uh, printing process. And they've just done a lot of R&D on what the material properties are uh, for a chassis that's printed that way. It takes nine hours to print it. Um, but there's 90% fewer parts than a vehicle like that. And, you know, they've done their homework and they understand what good looks like uh, for their process. But it's a lot of in-house expertise used to do that. So the concern like you bring up is if you want to just cut and paste an operation to another location or another business or another company, you know, how do you know that 
what's done in that machine is going to produce a good part or a good assembly if you don't have the technical know-how on site. Right. And, and that knowledge is expensive, right? It takes time. It takes a lot of effort to, to develop in the house. So of course the goal is to say, well, maybe uh, the company that produces the, you know, the printers can deliver that for the companies who are going to buy it. But that's always not always the case. And, you know, of course uh, the company have tried to do this. Uh, they've tried to produce standard building parameters, uh, standard geometry, standard powder, but we still have in some sense, some issues dealing with, you know, when you go to different machines, you don't get exactly the same behavior coming back, even though the part and the materials are the same. I, I guess with that, what all can be different? What, what translates machine to machine and part to part and what's different? Right, so there are, uh, it's estimated uh, for better or worse, there are more than a hundred different things, hundred different knobs you can turn on a metal printer. So, you know, for somebody like me, I get excited because now I have a hundred different things I can change, but maybe for, for somebody who's in a, a company, this gives them a heart attack, right? Because it'll be so difficult to consist, you know, make sure the consistency is there. Um, and so that's an open question, right? That is really the question of the day. Uh, you know, we know there are parameters, major parameters that are, you know, have very large effects, for example. How powerful is the laser? How fast is it moving? And you know, what pattern on the surface is it making when it's moving? But there are other parameters that comes in, for example, you know, when, when the laser for you know, a powder bed system where the laser is coming down and uh, essentially melting all the powders together, there's a gas that's flowing at the same time that blows some of the excess powder and the vapors away. How fast is that gas flowing, right? So then you have other parameters. Where on the build plate are you, right? Or even, parameters that deals with, for example, uh, feeding speeds in some of the, uh, the powder that's coming in and how the powder gets spread every single layer. So a lot of these questions we do not have answers for, right? So we know there it are certain things lot, that are important. But it sounds a lot like welding, G. Why, why can't we have, we have speeds and feeds and voltage and um, current, which has power input to the weld zone and we have a heat affected zone. We, should, we have tons of experience with this sort of thing in making fabrications. Why? Why, why do we wring our hands on uh, once, we once we put it in this sort of system? Right. So we do know there are some of these parameters that are absolutely important. I think the question then becomes, as we start to push technology toward something that's there to deliver final parts, and there are now very stringent tolerances and requirements on what those parts can or cannot be, um, then even small changes or even small unpredictabilities in some of these parameters becomes very important. So we have an understanding now of what the big parameters, so-called the big parameters, what they do. But we are still seeing that even with very good control of those, we still see some variations. So now these secondary parameters are no longer secondary, right? Because now some of these can begin to control what the final processing, whether you have a part that fails or whether you have a part that passes. And so some of these are uh, things that the community is working on. So for example, there is a big effort from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, which is called the AM Bench 2022. It used to be called 2021 because COVID delivered the entire thing by the end of the year. Uh, so what they were trying to do is they build a very well-controlled benchmark machine that allows you to tune every single little thing that can happen in this process. And they have you know, an organization of about 30, I think, different universities and companies trying various combinations of different parameters uh, and seeing what the effect on the final build is. Right, so these are things that are currently going on in the community. 
the effort is not finished, so we do not know what the final answer is, but they're starting to push closer to understanding what are some of these parameters. And you know, you know, Sammy and G, some of the things that, that G was just mentioning, all these different um, parameters and uh, once we solve some of this and really figure out what's important and find a way to make that transportable from machine to machine, from powder lot to powder lot, from company to company, and even from part to part, we still have to get the community, that is the designer, the materials engineer, um, the product owner for the product that the part's going to go into, the regulating authority in the case maybe of the the FAA for an aerospace application. Everyone has to develop some experience and get comfortable with the process and how much margin is there once you design a part. Uh, if something goes a little bit wrong, are we still going to be okay? We have decades of experience with forging and casting and then machining or welding uh, in terms of putting these very elaborate structures together. Once we embark upon trying to do it with additive, we just have to do the work as a team from start to finish to, to get comfortable with the process. So, so relating to that in the short term, how do you, how do you convince people um, when you're trying to implement it in a company in a, let's say you use the example in, in aerospace, um, how do you tell them that it's a good part when we don't have those, you know, as many years of experience behind us? Well, uh, in a company that I was, and we, we decided to make a very mundane part with additive manufacturing. We made a titanium six aluminum four vanadium, you know, very garden variety tie six four bracket for a, a duct to hold a duct in place in an airplane. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of stress, wasn't really subject to a lot of fatigue or a aggressive environment, um, didn't have to carry, like I said, a big load. But what we wanted to do was just demonstrate that we could repeatedly make a part that would conform to the dimensions and the, the strength and the ductility and the other requirements that the designers wanted and the type certificate holder, that is the airplane manufacturer, as well as the regulating authority, whether that's the FAA or EASA, that everyone could see it in action with a very low risk uh, involved. And so we successfully did that, but for a metallurgist, we're like, we knew that would work but we have to keep in mind that everybody has to see the, the full picture. Yeah. You know, depends on uh, what application we are talking about. This can be a slow process, but I don't think this is a problem unique to additive, right? So I've had colleagues working in, let's say a major aerospace company. I mean, anything new that goes on to any part of uh, something that is critical to flight is subjected to almost a default uh, attitude of skepticism, right? So it takes some time for the designer to accept all of these different things uh, in order for them to be able to trust this and incorporate this into the design. So sometime, some of that I think is just time, mm -hmm. but we still have to demonstrate that, you know, the, the basic fundamentals are sound, right? So they right. can't say, well, uh, we're not gonna all of a sudden find accidents everywhere as we start trying to do these things. That's right, G. I mean, you know, a lot of people uh, grew up with the philosophy that uh, the sarcastic philosophy that the, the first thing you hear about a new material or a new process will be the best thing. <laughs> right. And the rest of the rest of the news that you get along the way will be will be uh, racked with disappointment. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're guilty of that as a, you know, uh, as scientists, we usually publish our best results, right? <laughs> 
Right. So with that, um, what, what issues and challenges remain um, for additive manufacturing? Okay. Uh, so, you know, there are, I think, several different parts to it. And there are obviously challenges you know, associated with uh, acceptance, right? Uh, so what I would talk about instead is really on the, the technical uh, challenges to the hard technical challenges, right? So we've discussed a lot about certification. And, you know, one of the, the big problem, again, with certification is that when you print the same stuff on different machines, you sometimes get different results. And it's not very well explained why, right? I think that is the, the second part of this is really where it's a problem. If there are some variabilities, okay, we can understand what those variabilities are coming from and we can deal with it. We can design our part around it. But the fact that we don't always understand why there are such variabilities, why are the strength different, right? That creates a lot of uncertainty and risk in the whole entire process. So as a lot of researchers are trying to answer this question of, you know, why are there differences? Why are some of these things different? We're starting to realize at the same time that one of the reasons is we don't really fully understand the science behind this whole entire process. So the last three, four years, a lot of additive work has really uh, shifted toward the fundamental understanding of this process. You know, there's a joke that in the early days of additive where uh, really we're just doing serial welding, right? So the whole entire process is just welding. And there are new, no, no new sciences involved anywhere within this process. I think in the last couple of years, uh, with some of the work coming out of uh, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory and you know, Argonne National Laboratory, we're starting to see there are in fact new sciences involved in this. New sciences in laser matter interaction, new sciences in you know, how um, particles, the phys physics of particles as it's being energized by the laser. So many of these uh, new, newest studies has really been focused on, really, do we really truly understand how this process works? Right? Of course, not everything's going to be important. You don't want to be simulating the particle level for everything you do. But I think what comes out of this is to have a better understanding of, you know, we talk about all these different parameters. Which ones are the ones that are most likely to be important? And if we can identify that, then perhaps we can engineer the system in such a way that minimize some of these effects. Right? So this is one of the challenges that we currently have, is to be able to figure out how to reduce some of these variabilities and understand where it's coming from. Right? On the production side, there are also challenges with, uh, you know, building parts, uh, building parts bigger, building parts faster, and building parts better. There's, you know, kind of a saying where uh, you have to hit at least two, two of those three things, right, as a, as a new technology, and as we as we continue. Yeah, and from a business perspective, I think we we're all sort of uh, cheering along the material scientists and the and the folks really trying to get at what are the real driving forces for um, how to design the right composition of matter, the right process path to build a good part. Um, because if we get to, we feel like if we get to that answer or at least enough of a, of a design and process space so that we can, we can feel the system that looks a lot like CNC machines. So, you know, numerically controlled machines for uh, making a subtractive part from a forging or a, or a casting. If we can have that technology level on the work floor, capable of making parts with additive manufacturing, then I think we could be successful on a wide scale. Um, until we get to that point where it's, um, where it's that much of a, let's say commodity, or that much of a, a, a 
capability required to make good parts, uh, we, we will struggle to get wide acceptance. So we need that sort of capability so that the machine knows what to do for this alloy, for this type of part, and that the operator knows how to, to program it to get the part out the other side. Yeah, and I think, you know, one last thing uh, that's currently for certain applications is that much of the work in additive is really done on the property side, sort of at a very basic level, meaning we're looking at mechanical properties, how strong something is. Maybe the deep we go is how good is something in fatigue, right? But of course, for a lot of applications, and you know, this audience uh, will, will understand this very well. For example, how does a corrosion behave, pr properties behave in added manufactured materials? It's not the same as what you see in conventional. And in fact, there's a lot of discussion in these areas right now. People cannot agree with each other, right? So some la lack of knowledge in the secondary, uh, maybe uh, secondary pro properties uh, are, are still something that's an ongoing challenge as well. So, so with all the challenges that we're still trying to address, once we're successful to rein in some of those, where do you see additive manufacturer future? future state, where, where would we like to get to? What is, what is the perfect usage of it or where do we see the shaping industry as we move forward? So in terms of shaping industry, I think I was, I was trying to make the point earlier that if, if we can get this level of technology and workforce capability required to be on par with CNC machining and that a company can put machines on their floor next to their assembly line or their distribution center and we can really enjoy distributed manufacturing and vertical integration at that scale. I think that was me very interesting to companies that, you know, as, as a former CEO of GE appliances, I wanted my 1100 uh, service vans to have 3d printers in the back of them. And then when they show up in a consumer's house and an appliance needs a part, they can print that part instead of waiting a couple of days to get uh, a part from a warehouse. I mean, that's the sort of thing where, uh, you know, we're not there today. We're not capable of that, but maybe one day we'll have the speed and the technology and the transportability of that technology to be able to do something like that. Right. And, you know, from a material science point of view, um, I think additive presents a very interesting opportunity for designing new materials. And, you know, a few of the things we, we sort of touched on already is the fact that you have a bunch of knobs and each of the knob can allow you to change the material behavior in such a way. You can change the microstructure, you can change perhaps the defect structure, right? So that gives you a uh, very fine-tuned way of putting in material properties in places that you normally did not have the resolution to do, right? And we are starting to see some of these examples already. So there are a lot of interesting work looking at printing parts with the same material, but by changing the way you process at different locations of the part, you can create one part that has different material properties at different locations, right? So that's something that has been very, very difficult to do uh, with conventional techniques. But I think more interesting in some cases, we find that the material itself is just improved when you subject it to the conditions of additive manufacturing. So there's been a series of paper that came out recently reporting on stainless steel. When we added to manufacturing stainless steel, uh, 316, very basic grade stainless steel, the steel comes out both stronger and more ductile compared to their conventionally processed counterparts. This is sort of a, a holy grail in developing new materials. You want both. You want to break this trade-off of strength and ductility. But now with this new technique, you've done it without doing anything. So why? And how can we harness these things? 
I think these are questions that the material science community is trying to get their head around and to be able to then use this as a new way of making better uh, materials as a whole. Yeah, that's really exciting. And one of the things you'll find different between G and me, Sammy, is that he likes those 100 knobs and the ability to turn all or some at his discretion. What I'd really like to see are fewer knobs, like three knobs, and maybe one of them isn't even connected to anything so that we can really uh, have some consistency on the, on the production end of the process. It would, it would really depend on the application then on what you're looking for with what you just said, Chip, with more knobs versus fewer knobs, right? The, the assembly align approach versus the what can we do and expand the horizon. Right, absolutely. You know, there's, there's R&D and there's new product development and there's, and there's the ability to, to serve existing customers with the products that we're making and see if we can't, you know, make more of the, the product ourselves. Well, I think we're about ready to wrap up. So do you all have any final thoughts before we conclude? Well, I'd just say that, you know, I believe that there are exciting prospects for the future in additive manufacturing and there's good science to be done. There's great engineering yet to be performed. So I'd encourage everyone to stay tuned. And if you have any interest in the subject matter at all, you know, jump in and help. We could use the help charting the future path. Yeah, and I think additive here to stay, right? Uh, it, it's not going to be a, a smooth path going straight up. We're going to have a lot of bumps and we're seeing some of the bumps already. But I think this is a technology for the future. And, you know, it has some uh, really interesting thing to offer for uh, just about everyone, both, you know, the kids in the room like me and then the adults who have to come and, you know, tell us to, to, to stop doing all these crazy things like Chip. All right. Well, thank you, G and Chip. Um, if y'all want to learn more about the research they're doing, please go and visit University of Virginia's Material Science and Engineering page. For listeners that want to learn more about the corrosion of additively manufactured metals and alloys, you can find a number of articles available on corrosionjournal.org on that topic. And with that, I'm Sammy Miles, and thank you for listening to another episode of Corrosion Journal's interview series. If you want to learn more about the journal, make sure to visit corrosionjournal.org. You can subscribe to NACE Podcasts if you haven't already on Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the major distributors. And you can also find all episodes of NACE Podcasts on NACE.org. We'll be back soon with another episode of Corrosion Journal's interview series right here at NACE International.